My name is Era, and I'm the host of the Tamil Creator Podcast. I chat with creators from all over the world to share their stories and discuss hot topics in a way that I hope inspires, educates, and entertains you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tamil Creator. I'm your host, Era, and today I have a very special guest. Uh, if, for those of you uh, who are fans of TamilCulture.com, you might have seen some of his writing. Uh, his name is Roy Ratnavo. Um, I, you know, I personally love his story. Uh, just kind of, you know, I'm going to read the summary that I have here. But, you know, basically after he's forced to leave war Sri Lanka at a very young age and immigrated to Canada, Roy started as a mail mail clerk at CI Global Asset Management and over the span of about 30 years has made the leap to executive vice president at CI Financial as well as the head of distribution for CI Global Asset Management. So, um, you know, I'm super excited to kind of chat with Roy. Uh, before we kind of get into, you know, letting Roy introduce himself and his story, I'll quickly share how we met. And Roy, you can kind of refresh my memory on this, but I was thinking about this before our conversation today. And I think I saw you comment or post on somebody's comment on Facebook. And I think I added you and messaged you. And we actually ended up meeting physically at the Vancouver airport, right? I think it was like, I think it was like five to seven years ago, right? Yes, exactly. You're right. And that's, I think a lot has changed for you. Obviously, you're in Toronto now, but you know what? Uh, I'll let Roy kind of introduce himself, tell, you know, talk a bit about kind of, you know, his upbringing in Sri Lanka and kind of the journey over to Canada. And then we'll kind of take it from there. So, Roy, take it away. Awesome. Thank you for uh, having me. It's quite the honor. You're right. I think we somehow met through social media and, uh, I do believe it was a Sunday. I was flying out to a business meeting for Monday somewhere in North America. I can't remember, but uh, I just happened to mention to you on my phone or text, whatever I sent you, saying, Hey, I'm in the Vancouver, office, uh, sorry, Vancouver airport. Unbeknownst to me, you were apparently there too at the same time at a different terminal. I guess you were heading to Toronto. Um, mm -hmm. And then we met at the restaurant. I was having lunch and you came and joined me quickly. And then uh, that's how we met. And look, I, uh, I really enjoy doing the stuff like this, especially now that I am, um, you know, sort of done different kind of stuff throughout my life, three, three decade of uh, work experience. And uh, I really love having conversation. Presumably this reaches a lot of young people, aspiring entrepreneurs and, and uh, professionals of the future. So I, it gives me immense pleasure to, to share my thoughts, whether it's, uh, it doesn't matter, it's just my thoughts. So there might be some few nuggets that you can take and apply in your life as it's, as you see fit. So, uh, yeah, I mean, um, where do you want me to start? Um, maybe I'll give you a little bit of background of, you know, how I got here to Canada and what transpired in maybe three minutes. Um, so I was born in Colombo, Sri Lanka, um, many decades ago. <laughs> and uh, and uh, as most of you are listening, uh, there were political issues um, and it got intensified a little bit later after I was born. Um, so my father was concerned for both of his son's lives and, and his wife's life. So he decided to send us to our ancestral hometown, which is Point Pedro, which is the furthest point on the island in the north. So I sort of started my formal education at Hartley College, which is a venerable institution, one of the oldest in Sri Lanka. It was built in 1838, and my family went there, my dad, my uncle. So it's 
more of a family legacy for me to go to that school. Yeah, I mean, look, the life was fun. Um, you know, I enjoyed a livable level of decency provided by my parents and the town of Point Pedro. Uh, had a fun-filled, laughter-loaded life during those days, pulling pranks just like most of the teenagers would do. But all that changed very quickly after a series of terrible events in the South. And again, to refresh people's uh, memory, if you haven't uh, heard of the Black July event on July 24th of 1983, basically lit the fuse on the common communal tension between Tamils and Sinhalese. So the war intensified uh, and basically came to our backyard in Point Pedro, uh, shelling, nightly bombing and killings and, you know, losing a lot of my friends to, you know, shelling and stuff. And, uh, and then 87 rolled around. My father was in town at the time and, and, and there was one thing called Operation Liberation, which was basically the Sri Lankan government's um, operation to get rid of, or at least capture uh, Jaffna Peninsula, which included Point Goodwood Town as well. So they came into town and uh, basically took me to jail for uh, three months in Southern Park for Booza camp. And so I spent three months there. Uh, it was a horrific experience in my life, uh, something I don't wish anyone to live through. Um, but I do think that type of experience did help me to shape who I am. Uh, there, there was some silver lining in that. But certainly that's not the way to learn life lessons, but nonetheless, that's what happened to me. So uh, when I came out of prison um, at the age of 17, um, my dad decided that uh, there's really no future for a young guy like me in Sri Lanka and uh, found a passage to Canada um, in 1988. And that's how I started here. I came here at the age of 18 I did have an uncle here, but I didn't really know anyone else, but uh, so I had to find my way uh, from that to where I am today. Uh, so it's been a hard one battle, but it's a remarkable <laughs> ride and uh, I'm quite enjoying it now, thinking back. So, you know, you kind of landed here in Canada, like you said, you just had an uncle that you barely knew. So no real social support system in Canada. It's a brand new country, obviously, as well. Um, so how did you, like, what did you do as your first job to like, kind of, how did you like manage to support yourself? And then how did you end up with that mail clerk position at CI? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, sometimes they say fate designs destiny and uh, initial um, intention um, for me to come to Canada was to really get a better education because, you know, I missed school for two years and I haven't seen the inside of a school for two years. And and there was a war going on. There's there's no normalcy. So my dad decided to send me here. So the idea was he was going to send me here and uh, still continue to somehow find way to support me at least partially. Uh, and then I was going to study here. Uh, my uncle was going to help me. But unfortunately, two days after I landed, um, my father was shot and killed. Um, so, you know, that put an end to my aspiring educational uh, pursuit. And uh, so I had to go find ways to keep my belly full of food and uh, a roof over my shoulder. Um, so and at that time, I decided to myself that, you know, in, you know after father's death, that uh, 
have to live for two people, uh, one for me and for him. And, uh, and that's how I started uh, working. So at first I just got, just like any new immigrant would do, I was working in factories and cleaning buildings and working as a security guard. So I did all that, all, all three, so I had three jobs. Uh, I work in a factory during the daytime, clean buildings at night, and then I would uh, do a security job at uh, uh, in the weekends, 12-hour shift. It starts at noon and goes till midnight, Friday, uh, sorry, Saturday noon to Saturday, sorry, Saturday, Friday midnight to Saturday noon and Saturday midnight to Sunday noon. And then I just realized that I had to break that cycle because there was no way I'm going to achieve my goals or dreams if I want to live for two people, uh, I wasn't going to do it. Um, so one time I was, uh, the time I was living with a bunch of guys in the East End uh, to save money, we would, uh, uh, we rented a house with, I don't know, 10 people or something that, so it's just a crowded place. Probably broke a lot of, um, maybe it's a fire hazard too. Um, but uh, yeah, one night I came home and I was flipping through the Toronto Sun newspaper. And then I found uh, a job posting in the back of the ads. It said, uh, uh, mailroom clerk or office help needed 14K. I didn't even know what the K meant, to be honest. I just applied <laughs> the job. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so that's how I, I started. At the time, CI Global Asset Management was a tiny company. I was a 25th employee, privately owned. Um, and uh, I got the job as the lowest man in the company. Um, and that was uh, 30 years ago and a dozen promotions ago. And, uh, and then uh, here I am sitting at the, uh, as the head of distribution and the executive for uh, the global math. asset management. Now it is about $300 billion company with offices around the globe. That's amazing. I, I think I saw either on social media or somewhere where you posted that letter and I, I just love stories like that because for me, I'm a long-term thinker. I admire people that can kind of stick to something for a long period of time, just because it's such a like a rarity I find in this day and age. I, I guess the term is grit, and I'm a big fan of that. Um, you know, maybe besides grit, or maybe you want to talk about that as well. But what are some like traits that you see that are in short supply in this day and age that you think are required for success? I mean, I think you know the. It is sort of a cliche to say certain things, but they are still true. Um, and the success, how to reach success, really, I mean, at the end of the day, um, if you have a passion and you can change the passion into profits, I mean, that's the best scenario. But I was 18, I had no passion except just wanted to get a paycheck. Um, and, but once I got into it, I really understood this business, meaning asset management is something interesting, um, something that I could really understand and I would read about it. And I thought maybe I should pursue a career in that. And there's a reason for it, which, you know, we'll probably get into how I got into sort of becoming where I am today. But I would say the two traits that I always uh, think that's important um, is there are many stuff, obviously. And, and like I said, what I say here may not apply to other people, but I'm going to tell you what I did. And it might make sense to some of the listeners. It might not to others, but that's just fine. Um, I think that the two key ingredients that work for me is really working hard, and I'll 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 tell you what working hard is in a bit. But and then um, risk taking. 
you have to take some risk. And um, I mean, that's one thing I really love seeing now in the younger up and coming Tamil generation, people like yourselves, it's just that, you know, that ability to take the risk. Um, I think, you know, your parents certainly took the risk um, crossing many oceans, many, many nations to help the next generation. Uh, that's taking a massive risk. But when we came here, um, they have to do jobs that aren't too risky because you needed stability and to provide cash flow to the family. Now that we have young people like yourselves who are listening as well, risk taking is very important. Not, I'm not saying just be blindly swinging at things, but calculated risk. So I would work hard in the sense, uh, you know, I always heard hear people say work smart, not hard. I always say, you know, it goes the other way. If you work hard, eventually you figure out what the smart, smart uh, actions and activities are. But you have to start somewhere. Um, I always worked harder than anyone else in the company. Um, I wanted to differentiate myself. Uh, so working hard, you start with that, you get noticed. Then you're working hard results in some quality output or outcome to the company or the project that you're working on. And that's how you get recognized. And then you got to take risk. You know, don't settle for compla complacency will lead to failure. Um, and, you know, I would, you know, I had a rule that I would never want to stay in a role any more than a decade. Um, I think that it takes about three years to perfect or understand a role properly. And then it takes about another five years to perfect it. And you want to put a mark on it in two years and 10 years is my kind of thing. But the higher I got, I got to the, the top end of that 10 year mark. Um, if I was in the mail room, I wasn't going to be in the mail room for 10 years. I would probably hurt myself. Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, you know, when I got to senior positions, I would push close to seven, eight, sometimes 10 years, but I'd never been in the same role for more than a decade because that's how you deteriorate and it becomes uh, it's muscle atrophy. You know, if you don't use, because the job becomes so easy that you don't really challenge yourself. And it's like going to the gym, I always say. Uh, if you work in the same muscle, muscle group, you're never going to grow. Uh, resistance will make your muscles grow. Same with human beings. We need resistance. We do better in uh, adversity than in luxury. Um, so that's, those are two things. I would say work hard, take risk. This episode is sponsored by Nobody. That's right, Nobody. So if you could be kind enough to hit that subscribe button, that would mean a lot to me. Got it. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, you kind of touched on this earlier where, yeah, you've been at CI for like 30 years. And like I said, I think that kind of, I think career journey is super rare. I mean, you know, there, there's a small group of people that kind of have done that. But, you know, what made you stay at that company? And when I think of somebody staying that long, I think about, you know, things like there must be some kind of great environment, you know, an environment where there's opportunities you know, somebody that must have kind of uh, either looked out for you or kind of been that helping hand to kind of help you from that meal room clerk position to where you are today. Um, mm -hmm. I think of um, a story I heard this entrepreneur talked about how one of her first jobs was she was a beggar at the grocery store. And they asked her, like, you know, how did you like approach that job? She's like, you know, I approach it like I do as when I, now that I'm an entrepreneur, like I want to be the best beggar there was because it doesn't right. matter if you're the beggar, the manager, et cetera. Etc. Every person at the company has an important role to play. No matter, you know, you can't downplay somebody's role. Everything, all the parts, kind of fit together and do their job. So right. it just really stuck with me. And like, you know, I, I imagine your story is quite similar. But 
I'll let you kind of elaborate on that. Like, what was kind of your career trajectory of like mail like mailroom clerk, and then how did you start moving up from there? Yeah, I mean, there was. Uh, it's I completely agree with the comment you made about if you're a you know grocery bagger, you just got to be the best one in the crew. Um, it's all about always differentiating yourself from the crowd. You know, I've heard that nine out of 10 interactions are not memorable. Um, and so how do you become memorable? So I've been in sales for now 20 years and there are a lot of people like me myself um, in a suit and kind of say the same thing. And you're not memorable if you're just part of the crowd. So just to go back to my little uh, story about how I got here, uh, I was in the mail room and one day uh, this well-dressed gentleman walks in to drop the mail and uh, looks like he walked out of a GQ magazine. <laughs> and uh, I always had a great affinity for nice ties because my dad uh, had nice ties when, when I was a remember him in Colombo and going, going to work and uh, at least nice by my standard at the time. Um, so I just made a comment to him, hey, nice tie. And, and he kind of said, oh, thank you. And put his hand out and introduced himself. Uh, his name was Bill Holland. And he was at the time, um, one of the VPs of sales. And a young guy, uh, probably he would have been in his 30s, early 30s. And I was in my late, uh, late teens. And, um, and then a week later, I saw a shopping bag on my little desk in the mail room. And uh, I opened it up and there, there was, there's Amani, Brioni and Canali and Xenia and the ties that he isn't using anymore uh, or wasn't using anymore were given to me. And needless to say, I was the best dressed mailroom boy on <laughs> Bay Street. And uh, so we sort of struck up a relationship and he was a, a keen observer. Uh, he understood that I come from a culture where uh, lots of values put on education. And he felt that I was wasting my life in mailroom and, and working. He didn't really know my background, why I was working. He thought I was a high school dropout. Um, and he would sort of, was very curious about my life. And he would come and talk to me whenever he's in town. He's a traveling salesman. And uh, we struck up a relationship and he, you know, um, pretty much uh, pulled me out of the mailroom because I, uh, pulled one of those differentiating move. Um, you know, there was a backordered materials that we had to send out. I'll make this quick. And uh, and they were going to hire some part-time person to come and help me, which I wasn't going to allow that. So one night after everybody left for, or for home on a Friday night, I stayed till two in the morning, filling all the orders. I didn't even um, apply for overtime. And he heard about it and he was absolutely blown away that somebody would actually take the initiative. And he said, you should not be in mailroom. You're wasting away here. We're going to put you in service, customer service. So I got there and then eventually pushed me to get into sales and got me to get into U of T. Uh, so helped me apply for the job. Sorry, U of T. And so I did my mature student program at U of T to get my degree. And then eventually put me in sales because that's exactly what I wanted to do. I want to be like this guy. And, um, and to my luck, he became the CEO, and and as as he kept rising in the company, I kept rising with him. Uh, but he wasn't; nothing was given to me for free. I mean, I had to I had to prove my worth. Um, and then now he's a chairman of the board, and 
we still talk at least once a week or meet meet for drinks or lunch once a, once a month and he has been a mentor for me for now over 30 years that's amazing uh, i've never heard that part that story i mean i've heard his name before but not kind of all those details so that's pretty remarkable um i guess it kind of goes back to your quote i think you said I, i'm going to butcher it but something around fate like or i guess the, there's a version of it i know it's like chance prepares chance favors the prepared but you know you did have a little bit of luck that you obviously had to work to be ready for that opportunity that got presented to you so yeah i, I mean I, look i bill met a lot of people um and and so i was lucky to meet him but then luck has nothing to do with where I got here. It certainly had to really work out. I mean, he's he's harder on me than anyone else I know because uh, because he's taken a personal interest. Um, I mean, the, the lessons never stop. And even now after 30 years, every time he speaks, I listen uh, because there's always some nugget coming out of his mouth that I can actually use in my life. And I was actually fortunate to actually meet someone like that who believed in me more than I believed in myself. And uh, so in that respect, it was certainly luck. That's what I said, fate designs destiny. And that was a fateful day in a good way that I met him in the mailroom and I said what I said and made an impression on him. And, and that's another thing too. I find that really success, I think the day is about being likable. Uh, I'm not saying being likable in the way of just be a doormat for everybody and do everything that people want you to do, but just be a nice person. Um, people don't want to deal with assholes. You know, um, if you're nice, then you, you actually bring some value as a lethal combination. And uh, so I was able to make an impression on this, in this gentleman. And that has been a, a key driver for my success. When I, when I hear the story, I think of a story here from a lot of friends and just people that I know around a lot of opportunities or jobs, if you want to call them that aren't really advertised or like put on, like they're not public, you know, there's the odd jobs, like maybe 10% or 20% they kind of make it out there. But most jobs are kind of like this where jobs are like opportunities almost created for people that, you know, you kind of network or like create relationships with just like you did with your mentor. Um, like when you talk to younger people and you're mentoring them now, do you talk about networking or like what do you classify as networking? Like I have a definition and I think mm. there's an authentic way to network, which is, you know, uh, my way of networking is like, I don't really ask for stuff. I typically give and, you know, sometimes I'll ask, but that's like, it's like a very... Um, staggered ratio like it's a um, the ratio isn't really 50 50 but that's okay that's kind of how I believe in networking so how do you think of networking and how would you advise a young person today of how to view that term okay yeah look I I have never had to kind of do um, uh, because once I've met Bill and things start falling in place um, but now I'm on the receiving end of it where I get reached out by a lot of young people, especially from our community. And I always give time for anyone. Um, and I look for certain key traits when I speak to individuals. Um, first of all, I just like people who are fearless. Uh, can just reach out and just send me an email or uh, LinkedIn me or, or even just call my cell phone or not cell phone, my office phone. I like that because that's just taking risk and I really, driving that, um, just being fearless. Well, what am I going to say? Probably say, no, that's the worst thing could happen. So what's there to, what's there to lose? Um, so I love when, um, you know, young people just reach out to me randomly and say, hey, can you give me 10 minutes or 20 minutes? And I always give them more than what they, what they want. And then the, the other part is, I would say that when you do go to, because 
everybody's got an ego, right? So when I when I hear somebody that wants to talk to me, it, it actually, in a selfish way, makes me feel good too. Like, okay, I can actually give something back, uh, honestly, something valuable to another human being. That makes me feel good. So there's some selfish intent there. Uh, but I also think that, you know, I mean, I do feel, a, a, I do have a great um, love for our community. And I think we are one amazing group of people that can do really well in this country. And in small way, I can contribute to that progression along with many others. And I think that that's really a good thing to do. Um, but when you have that opportunity, I want people to, to really take it seriously because I do know, you know, if I talk to 10, maybe five of them will come prepared. Uh, they ask the right question. They've done some research on me, the company or the business. Um, and just like, I don't think that anyone should start a network by saying, I want to get to know you because that sounds like you're on a date. Um, I think it, it would be constructive to say, listen, and I watch your career or I watch you from distance or I watch the company or like just have a hook and why you're there to talk to them and what, what you hope to achieve. And I, in fact, I was talking to a young man, Tamil, Tamil guy, not too long ago. And, uh, he was like a journalist, had the right questions. He thought about what he was gonna say, you know, gave me 30 minutes, I gave him 30 minutes. He was like, no time wasting. And then I was quite impressed. I gave him another 30 minutes. Um, and then I asked him a question. I said, how old are you? He said, I was 18 and still in, just finishing up high school or whatever. Right. I was quite like actually proud because if that's one small example of what's out there in our community, I mean, Man, if I was that put together at the age of 18, I'd be, you know, running five different companies at the same time. That guy was spot on. And I think that is what differentiating means, because when you network, um, that's great. You know, you're lucky to you get some time from someone who who did what you want to do or, or doing what you're, you want to do in life. But when you have the chance, just make sure you don't squander that away. Um differentiate yourself and i keep saying that throughout the interview i will because the world is full of people and you have to be memorable in a good way um and and if you can make that impression uh, i'm telling you you're gonna have nothing but uh, non-stop green light on the street of success i like that um you know in terms of like obviously finance i mean your advice applies generally across the board i think but if there's somebody out there, like a young person that's possibly considering a career in finance, what specifically do they need to know? Like, you know, when I hear finance, or like, you know, you hear the different categories of finance, law, et cetera, you know, there's certain things that are kind of glamorized or talked about, or, you know, but there's a lot of nuances that, you know, you don't, you don't actually know about. So what would you tell people to think about before, you know, uh, doing some work to kind of go down that path? Yeah, I think that you need to differentiate yourself or you need to reconcile to yourself whether you want a job or you want a career. But two different things. Um, job will give you a paycheck and that's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I met a lot of happy people in this world who just do nine to five and make a decent income. They go home, they have great parents, at, oh, sorry, parents uh, or husbands, mothers, or, great friends, um, but, and they're also happy. Um, and then conversely, I also know people who are financially successful and miserable in life. Um, I think it really deciding what is that you wanna do, um, 
don't be driven by just money. Uh, it's okay in the initial stages of your life um, because if money is the only thing, um, you're going to be unhappy. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I like money. Uh, money, you know, when people tell me money doesn't buy happiness, I think they don't know where to shop properly. But, um, <laughs> but getting aside, I think there's a fine balance between money and happiness. Um, money can solve a lot of problems, but money can solve all the problems. So really figure out earlier on uh, if you have the luxury to pick a, a career, a passion. So if your passion is finance, you think that the world of finance intrigues you and you love the, the, the intensity of it um, and the, the rush from it, and that's a passion. And then any, anything that built on passion can become great careers. I always say careers will give you a lifestyle. Um, you know, jobs will give you a paycheck. So it really depends on that. So if finance is your gig, uh, I would say, you know, the one thing I've noticed successful people in finance are very um, uh, extrovert kind of personalities um, because it is a relationship business. People need to first trust you to, before they hand over their money to have you manage them. Um, and again, when I say finance, it's a very broad stroke because finance has many aspects to it, as you mentioned this in the outset of the question. But I would say it is a re remarkable industry to be in. I actually think that what makes a uh, community strong, three pillars. Um, one is finance, the other one is media, and the other is politics, I think. If we can get enough people into all three columns, um, I think our community would be very strong, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, even after I'm dead and gone. Uh, I think we have slowly getting enough people into um, journalism. Um, I think that's good to see. But certainly, you know, we created an organization with a few of us started this organization called uh, Tamilson Finance. I'm not sure if you heard of it. Yes. I'm one of the founding members of that. And the whole intention here is that try to get many young men and women in our community to look at finance as a way of a career, uh, because it isn't traditionally a thing that Tamils go to, but there's more and more. I mean, when I started, I was probably one of the brown, one of the brown person on the, on Bay Street beside a couple of Indian people. But um, now it's, I mean, it's the amount of CFAs, MBAs and finance, it's, remarkable and i think we're on a very good trajectory that's uh, it's really good to see did you know that every time you left a five out of five review for this podcast a tamil parent lets their child pursue a career in the creative arts okay that's probably not true but if there's a chance that it is do you really want to jinx it leave a review do it for the young creative in you you know you kind of talked about you know i guess the next line of questioning would be around You've spent three plus decades kind of in the space. You know, you're going strong. At what point do you consider slowing down life working on Bay Street and possibly transitioning to something else? Uh, and, you know, maybe you haven't even thought about that. I'm just curious, like, have you thought about what's next uh, for Roy? Yeah, listen, I, I, um, this career doesn't define me. It, it's, you know, I, I think that it would be a sad chapter in my life if I don't have a, a, a closing chapter to my, my career uh, or my life, I should say. Um, so the way I look at the life is one third, one third, one third. One third is you're young, impressionable, learning. Like it's like 
getting water from a fire hose. Like it's, it's just coming at you. And then life will, you kind of fall into position in life. I think maybe a very small percentage of the world population would say, I want to be an astronaut by the time I was 20. And then they kind of work at it and they get there. That's probably a very tiny minority of people. But most of us kind of fall into positions in life, you know, you, the, the, the fire in the belly that you didn't think that you had and it just happens and then, then you get into it. So the, uh, that's the one third, the second one third where you are, you know, building a career and then you, you know, fall in love, get married or whatever, or not, whatever you fall in love with, it could be passion, it could be family, and you build that. And then you get to the second one third, like the last one third, which is where I'm at. I'm on my back nine of, of the, the golf, mm-hmm. you know, uh, day game. Um, and I'm no, no, I mean, saying I'm checking out, but I'm, you know, this is my last chapter. So what am I going to do? I mean, look, I have always believed that um, I want to leave uh, this country better than I found it. And I want to shape policies for this country uh, the way I think should be governed. Um, again, I'm, I have no solution for every problems out there, but there are certain things that I like to see the country succeeding in. And the other passion I have is, uh, again, I'm not saying I'm going into politics, but something along that line, you know, shaping policies. And the other would be, I'm an avid writer. Um, I, I find a lot of peace in writing. Um, in fact, I think I wrote for you guys, uh, Emerald Culture many times, and, um, but I've written for you know, National Post and many other uh, publications. So writing is a passion of mine. And uh, I know you and I spoke about briefly about my book project I'm working on. And uh, yeah, so I, I have been thinking about a book in my head for now 15 years. Um, I'm glad I didn't write it at 35 um, because I think 15 years later, I'm a completely different person uh, with more experience, more tolerance and more, 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 everything good. So I have been, um, intensely writing uh, this book since uh, uh, April 4th is when I actually started penning my first line uh, just around the uh, Easter long weekend and, uh, and June 4th, which is exactly two months later, I, I wrote a book um, and uh, it's currently being shopped uh, by my book agent. Uh, there are a few publishers interested in the story. Uh, basically the gist of the book is uh, you know, my perspective on war, work, and just my observations about current political climate and and just in Western world and where I think we are going wrong or where we are going right. And so it it will have a sort of a political lens to this, but but through a personal story. Look forward to that. Uh, I think you, you mentioned it to me and I'm looking forward to kind of seeing more about that end project. Um, one of the things I guess, as I've known you kind of, you know, for the last you know, number of years is that you're obviously somebody that's not afraid to share their opinion. Um, but I feel like, you know, I've noticed this more and more, and I think we're seeing this kind of in the media, just kind of this echo chamber of if people disagree on something, the, there's a lost art of kind of coming to the table and having fruitful discussion to actually just like learn from one another versus just kind of someone doesn't agree with you, you just kind of push them. And that's kind of how extremism happens, right? Like, people people are um, social creatures like if they disagree with you 
and you're not giving them that chance to be heard. Um, you know, I, th I, um, I forgot where I was listening to this. Um, I'm trying try to think of the example, but basically if somebody has a certain view, you disagree with them, mm -hmm. then you give them no avenue that, hey, you know, you're in a safe place, you can talk to me, even though we're not gonna be eye to eye. They might wanna leave, you know, say it's like a hate group. Uh, the only people they hang out with people that share those views, but maybe they're looking for uh, someone to kind of convince them otherwise. But if there's no place for them to go with those thoughts, the only place they're gonna stay is in that extreme corner with those hateful thoughts. So I feel like, you know, I, I mean, for myself, there's some things that I agree with you and some things that I don't, but at the end of the day, it's, I don't, you know, I've seen people push away people just because they disagree with that. And just, I wanna hear your thoughts on like, why do you think people are that way? And like, how do you think we can get more people to the table that come from different sides of the table? So, you know, that kind of goes back to politics, right? Even in politics, I'm seeing that where there used to be a bit more of a, uh, you know, like an aim to, re you know, resolve people that were different backgrounds. But now I see, you know, like just people like very hard on their party lines, not wanting to hear other viewpoints. So, yeah, just. Right. I, you know, it's a, it's a very, uh, we could spend an hour talking about this. Um, and, uh, but your observation is bang on. Uh, I think the. Uh, social media has, in my opinion, created a anti-social behavior uh, among many people. Um, it's easy to be anonymous and, and bash somebody than to have a person-to-person -person constructive conversation. Um, and yeah, that's it. You know, social media is supposed to unite us, but it ended up dividing us. And uh, and it is kind of a sad state of affairs right now. And one of the reasons I, I what motivated me to write the book is really to you know, tell people that, you know, freedom of speech and freedom to think, freedom to um, express your opinion without uh, punishment is, um, it's, a, it's a key tenant of just human behavior, really, uh, but also Western democracies. And um, I mean, this is why the book makes sense to me, because I grew up in a country that, you know, you know, you, uh, you, you may think you have freedom of speech, but you have no guarantee freedom of speech, but then you don't have no guarantee after speech. Uh, it's sort of creeping up in Western civilization where I understand that hate speech needs to be stopped. What is hate speech and who decides that uh, is, the, is the problem because just because you are offended by what I'm saying doesn't make you right. It's just that you're offended. Um, so, you know, I, I, I actually think that I want to hang out with people who have difference of opinion than I, I have because, and like you said, the word echo chamber. Um, I really don't think, uh, honestly, diversity is our strength. I think diversity of thought is our strength. Uh, I have friends who are, you know, from all walks of life with different opinions. I mean, we duke it out over find a beer and disagree and. I said this many times. I don't. I don't. I don't need to agree with someone to like them. Um, it would be nice to agree with them at the same time, but I don't have to agree with them all the time, because when you disagree with those you agree with, or agree with those who you disagree with, is when you know that you have the capacity to change and evolve as a human being. You know, even in career, uh, changing and evolving is an important thing because it goes hand in hand. Stubborn people don't succeed in life because they're just stubborn on their way. They're not going to listen to anyone. They're right all the time. And I have been that guy when I was young. And, and as you mature, you change, uh, you listen to other people's views, 
dissenting views. But more importantly, to, it also helps you to be tolerant of others. You know, only tolerating ideas that we only agree with isn't tolerance. Um, and I actually, you know, I actually think that freedom of speech is a non-negotiable Western value. We all need to die on this hill. Free speech is the core, not just to the Western civilization, but to identity. Um, because as an individual, all you are is a person, and that's the smallest minority in the world, the individual. Um, when you start belonging to groups, you're not an individual anymore. You just lost your individual traits. And, um, and that's why I find this whole this mob mentality of anyone who disagrees with me should be, you know, uh, wish to the cornfield is a dangerous uh, trend. And it only leads to one type of thinking and, and humanity doesn't progress in that type of environment. Um, it's like, and I always say that, you know, you want to listen to that one person who disagrees and the 90 people that agrees with you because Galileo was the only guy who said the world is round. Everybody said it's flat and they shunned him and they, they were going to kill him. And then he withdrew his statement and ran away and went to exile, but he was right. So I think it's important to have people like that in, in the world uh, because, you know, the, the people who think with the crowd never invent anything. Anyone who thinks against the crowd are the one that's inventing things. Um, so progression of humanity always hinges on people who have different kind of thinking. And so that's just, I mean, like I said, I could spend an hour talking to you about this because I'm very passionate about this, the indi individual identity over anything else. I don't, I don't, I'm not a group guy. I don't, I don't never sign up to group thinking. Uh, I have been that way before, but I realized that's never going to get you anywhere in life. So you talked about this evolution personally and professionally where you were one person before and over time, whether it's talking to different kinds of people, just evolving, you're now a different person. How do you manage those people that, you know, you have those people that hold you to the image or person that you were 10, 15 years ago, even though you're a totally different person today. How do you deal with those kind of people? Because you know, I've, I've gone through that as well. So I'm just curious about you. I, uh, you know, that's a fantastic question because I address that in the book as well, because, because I worked at CI for 30 years, um, it was a blessing and a curse. Uh, blessing is because you know the company, you know how it operates and people know who you are. That's also a curse because at 20, I was a troubled kid and I did things and said things to people that are nice or, or civil. Uh, and, and then 30 years later, I'm a completely different human being. In, this, in the sense, I'm who I am at the core. Uh, but, you know, in terms of how I would approach problems or how I would deal with people, vastly different, more sophisticated, or more mature. But people will not forget. And even if you, you know, uh, you know atoned for your sins, um, and that will become uh, a, a roadblock for you. And uh, so when I became the head of distribution, an executive in the company, um, and there were a lot of internal strife, um, and uh, and uh, it it unfortunately because they saw me at my worst, um, you know, decades ago. And uh, if if I have one big regret in my career is that that I didn't, um, you know, manage my optics better earlier on in the career. I was sort of 
pig-headed and stubborn and I did it my way and no one's going to, you know, I got a little cocky and I mean, look, you know, it, it takes one or two failures and you realize that you are not invincible and then you become a much nicer human being. So I can always say, you know, I was terrible, then I'm a lot better now. And I'm sure 20 years from now, if I'm still alive, I'd say I'm better at 20 years from today um, because improve is to, to change. And, and I think, you know, even as a, you know, a father, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, um, to um, it's all about changing and 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 you know finding a better version of you uh, year over year after year after year after. And if anybody tells me that they are flawless human beings, good for you. But uh, I think that's a, that's a, an oxymoron, really, because we are all flawed and 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 kind of screwed up based on our backgrounds. And uh, yeah, so this is uh, it's been a had I left CI to another company, I would have started a clean slate and nobody would know the Roy that they knew 30 years ago. But uh, unfortunately, I'm in the same company. So it's a struggle even now. Yeah, I mean, because I, when I talk to people and say if I have a disagreement with my wife or disagree with my friend, for me, I look at it as, oh, the fact that I'm able to have a disagreement and we're still friends, you know, sometimes it gets heated, but then, you know, we apologize, whatever, and we're able to be civil or like um, be friends or like husband and wife. And people find it weird that, for me, I say my real friends are like people that I'm real with are people that I can disagree with. And I know that, you know, they don't like look at me in a weird way. Um, right. Like, so it's just like, yeah, it's, people look at me weird and I'm like, oh, like I love the fact that my wife and I can have constant disagreement about small things, but we resolve it because we're building this kind of, you know, layer by layer, brick by brick, the strong relationship. But people are like, oh, that's weird. Like mm -hmm. you shouldn't be fighting. But it's not, I don't look at it. I don't like the word fight. It's like disagreement, you know, it's like a mm -hmm. civil way to kind of uh, talk about issues. But uh, I only brought that up because I see in the news everywhere, like I think um, somebody's supposed to host a Grammys or this or that. And they, you know, somebody found like a tweet that they posted 20 years ago or like something they did like 15, 20 years ago and they're holding them to it now. But, you know, somebody might be 35 and successful now, but at 15, they were like a dumb kid. How can you hold somebody to that same standard of, you know, behavior? Uh, I just find it crazy. It's not like when somebody does something really bad, I'm not like, oh, don't hold them or don't, um, you know, uh, get them to atone for it. But, you know, you have to forgive people at some point or like, nobody's perfect. So how do you, yeah, right. it's, just, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. I, I actually, you know, that's, a, that's another thing we can spend a lot of time talking about is it's, it, the line keeps moving in the human morality department, right? Yep. Um, you know, if you, go and watch documentaries of what happened in 1400s. I mean, it's appalling what human beings did to each other. And they still do. I mean, it's happening in Sri Lanka as we speak. Um, but I, I think that uh, you, you hit it on the nail, uh, hit it on, on the head, uh, nail on the head, is that, um, look, we have to learn from history. And that we do. And history is ugly. I mean, even Canada, um, has an ugly past. And, and as we found out just recently with the terrible events in, in Kamloops and, you know, that's, that's coming back, but showing, highlighting a dark past of this colonial past of this country. Now, yes, so we have to atone for it. We have to make things right. But also at the time, same time, we have to look back in the history and say, you know, show me one person who was completely flawless, right? Every, but they also contributed positively to humanity as well. I mean, 
I mean, you look at WW2, and, and I know there's, you know, talks about certain leaders at the time, you know, remove their statues and all that stuff, but they also stopped uh, fascism from coming to the West. And, and so they did a lot of good things. So I think you can, you know, safely say that you can put a ledger, good and the bad, and then you can fill both columns and then try not to do the, the bad stuff they did. Um, but the, you know, the, 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 there are a number of areas where, the, where their attitudes and values will change over time and because we get better as human beings. And, you know, embracing a sweeping knee-jerk reaction for remedying historical injustice isn't a pragmatic way to do it. Now, in saying that, you know, I kind of jokingly say this, 100 years from now, maybe what we did today will look appalling to that group of people, right? I mean, imagine if someone said 100 years from now, I can't believe human beings owned dogs, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's another living, breathing thing. And you actually put them on chain and drag them around. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even being facetious. It could happen, right? Because, you know, owning a dog is a lovely thing now. And uh, maybe 100 years from now, people look at us like Neanderthals and horrible human beings. So, yeah, I think we just need to, you know, try to make the, the wrongs done in the past right by the best we can do with today's resources we have identifying those groups that's been hard done by. And, and I always say like, it's, it's not about, like it, we have to bring equality about more pragmatic ways. You don't bring equality by bringing, it's not a seesaw. You don't pull someone down to bring the other one up. And we just do both at the same time, you know, keep the person up there and then push these people up by having, um, you know, policies that make sense. And, you know, it's, it's not about, you know, I, I have a rule at CI and my hiring practices. I say, let's lower the barrier, but don't lower the bar because, you know, you need to give, you know, access to better education for everybody, opportunities and bring about changes corporately, you know, uh, but at the same time, we have to have a minimum set of standards for achievement. Um, Otherwise, you're just going to appeal to the lowest common denominator. That's not how societies progress. So it's a very complicated subject, of course, but uh, it's, uh, I'm glad that you're thinking about that. It's refreshing to hear that. You, got, you have a, I noticed when you talk, you always have a lot of um, very potentially memorable kind of slogans or taglines, you know? The one like you just said, what was it? Uh, don't, I mean, uh, lower, was it? Lower the barrier, not the bar. Yeah. Very memorable. I think you've said like five or six of them. If I go back in this conversation, I'll find them. But I noticed you have that habit, which is good. It'll be good for your book. Well, that's uh, also part of me talking about being differentiating yourself, right? Yes. Because you, um, because I, 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 um, I spend uh, a good part of my life as a traveling salesman, and this opened me up to a lot of different human beings and ho- how to hold attention, how to read body language, and I really. I wouldn't say perfected it, but I spent a lot of time studying about it and, and how to say, uh, how to get to someone with less words and more powerful sentences that will be, as you said, memorable. The conversation will be differentiated from the other five conversations the client had that day. And that's its importance. Communication is important. And I think one of the things I, I would say to anyone who's listening, one of the part of the success 
that you should focus on how to communicate your ideas to people. Like if you're an entrepreneur today, you could have the best idea, but if you don't know how to pitch that idea in a very meaningful way, um, you're never going to get funding uh, or have somebody listen to it. Um, I mean, you have to have content, but communication is very important. So if, if you are a budding uh, entrepreneur or professional of any kind, spend some time on um, presentation skills. Um, it's very important. And I, I've learned that early on in my career and I spent quite a bit of money and time in that space and it's been very helpful. Money can be hard to come by, but here's a $100 opportunity for you. Join my free newsletter for free exclusive content and a free chance to win $100 when I hold special draws. Did I mention that it's free? So what does what do you like to do for fun outside of work? I, uh, you know, I, I've uh, lived out west for, as you know, for more than two decades. And I picked up a habit of um, climbing mountains. It's my, uh, one of my... Uh, um, um, passion climbing and um, so I don't do much here now but I'm, I'm actually starting to go overseas to, to do these things and um, so I did Kilimanjaro climb last year sorry 2019 uh, summited uh, raised some money for uh, mental illness in our community and uh, I did uh, Machu Picchu in 2011 I was going to go to uh, Denali in Alaska last year, obviously, because of COVID. Um, so I find, um, uh, you know, I always said that, you know, beside walking being the most ancient exercise, something about climbing mountains, it's kind of synonymous with struggles of life. And um, it's almost like reaching the next level of my life is like climbing mountains, I always say. So climbing is my passion. Um, you know, obviously Toronto doesn't lend to that passion that much because we don't really have a lot of mountains here. But um, so I'm kind of training now soon to um, see if we can tackle Denali. So that's one of my passion. The other is, um, you know, obviously, uh, as I said, writing is my uh, ongoing passion. I like to write and say things about observation I make about social um, issues and in a way that is not bashful, but something that's constructive. Um, so those are two things that keeps me entertained. Maybe if I leave the business one day, I probably become a, just like to be a writer. Uh, and uh, hopefully I'm financially um, um, settled uh, enough that my, my son is out and doing his thing. So, you know, he's my biggest uh, focus right now, trying to get him to be a better human being. And, and just, Ultimately, I'll be judged by that. What's an insecurity that you have? Uh, just too many to list. But uh, I think one of my insecurities is that um, whether it's real or not, um, my insecurity is that people doubt me. Um, you know, I, I just think that every time I'm talking to someone, they just doubt me in the sense that I'm not capable of doing something, right? And I think that comes from um, a little bit of how I grew up. I mean, I'm, I wasn't academically, um, you know, great. I was an average student. I mean, I didn't really apply myself. I had other skills, but we were all born with different skills. I wasn't going to be a doctor or engineer, I can guarantee you that. Um, <laughs> so growing up, you know, I was always uh, kind of 
you know, even people in the family would say, this guy's not smart, you know, he's never going to achieve anything. So I have that sort of insecurity a little bit. Uh, that was something that, you know, drilled into me. Unfortunately, when I was very young, you know, people would say things like that. This guy's not, this guy will amount to nothing in life. And so it kind of deeply, deep in my bone marrow. And so, so I have that insecurity. So I counterbalance that with a little bit of chip on my shoulder, right? Um, and now I'm more balanced because I have a chip on both shoulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so that would be my, you know, one jumps out my insecurity. So, so that has negative reaction to things. So even in relationships, you know, if my wife says something, immediately your default gear is like, well, she doesn't think I can, I'm capable of doing it, right? So it leads to un- unpleasant engagements with people, but I have to really watch for that. The other is my, you know, I always had a uh, hair trigger, um, which really didn't help me in my career. It actually hurt me a lot. Um, so one of my biggest failures is that, is, is I could fly out the handle um, just like that. And those things are never a good thing in a boardroom setting. So I always said that I wish I was a thermostat, not a thermometer. <laughs> um, I don't know that I explained this to you. The thermostat controls the temperature in the room and thermometer rises to the temperature. So I was a thermometer. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm more of a thermostat now than I have been in the past, for sure. You, you talked about this briefly, but um, obviously being somebody in the financial, like in a company like CI, and just, you know, kind of some of the aspirations you have, um, I, I want to ask you a quick question about kind of money and just general, like, how do you view money? Um, and like, how do you like personally invest, whatever you want to share, just because I feel like people don't really talk about, you know, like, you know, money is kind of looked as an afterthought, like, you know, make enough money, live your life, et cetera. But I look at it more in a pragmatic and, you know, uh, planned manner where like, I know what I need, why I need it. And I'm not striving to like do anything above, be- above and beyond that. Because like you said, there's people with tons of money that are unhappy and people with, you know, not that much money, they're happy. I think it's just a matter of knowing what you want to do with money that makes you happy or joyful, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, like, how do you look at money? How do you invest? Just whatever you want to share. Yeah, look, I, I think you need to have some financial success um, because I do think that, um, you know, I, I've been poor and it's not fun. And so I'm not by any means, you know, extremely wealthy, but I'm well-to-do. Um, I think I don't really need a bigger house because that's how I look at it, okay? I don't need a bigger home. I don't need a faster car, although I had them all. But <laughs> if, 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 if I'm at a certain age, say 70 years and I'm sitting there, I would just be happy to be able to travel one or twice a year to the reasonable places, uh, I'd be happy to just go out with my friends and not to worry about be able to pick up the bill at dinner. Um, so I, I don't think that I'm, that's how I look at it. Can it furnish me with uh, life's basic existence without worrying about it? Um, and I couldn't care less about having homes in Florida and warm places and any of that stuff. And I know some people like that and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, just my way of looking at money. And I, I've seen money can do to people. Um, it, it, it have changed a lot of friends that I know that 
Um, it's, it's funny how I always say that if you, want, if you want to know about someone, give them two things, money and power. And, uh, and then you'll, you'll know the real person. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to ever try to, you know, project myself as some kind of a, um, you know, perfect specimen. Look, we all have flaws. I said this so many times, but I think the one thing that you should never forget is who you are, where you come from. And you can never deny that to, you can deny that in public, but you can never deny that to yourself. And, and I, I always run paranoid for a long time because I just, you know, I would hate to lose everything that I, I, I acquired, including my financial success. So I'm very careful about how I take risk now, but I still take risk. I've been wiped out before financially, especially in 2000. Uh, to 2001 during the dot-com bubble and I've never done that before after and um, yeah so it just you know another thing is to like I want to be able to provide um, something for the family and you know if my son wants to go to a, a university that's going to cost more money I, I, I want to be able to provide that so like I said if I can get that him out of the way not I'm saying that I want him out of the, my life just saying like get him to be a a successful human being in the sense of balanced and, and a reasonable head on his shoulder. And ultimately that's what you're going to be judged by, uh, you know, what kind of human you brought up in this world. And, and if he's a, a good person and someone who's going to contribute to society at large, uh, then I think I've done my job. And so money in that sense is helpful, but it is not all. And, uh, and also if I can buy some nice wine, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think I, I'm okay because that's one of my passions, by the way, collecting, collecting wine. Well, that's a kind of a good segue into the final segment, which is called uh, Creator Confessions. It's meant to be a speed round. I'm going to put out a bunch of statements and you're going to just say the first thing that comes to mind. Ready, Roy? Okay. All right. Favorite Tamil food? Kotbrati. Uh Something that scares you? Um, not having a companion in life. Favorite show you're watching? Peaky Blinders. A place you're itching to travel to after this pandemic is over? Hawaii. Fellow Tamil creator you want to give a shout out to? Era <laughs> uh, Favorite childhood memory? Um, riding a bike with my dad um, to the fish market. Pet Oh, sorry, pet peeve. Pet peeve. People are working on their phones when someone's talking to them. And then people replying to all in the emails. (laughs) Person slash celebrity you look up to. Oh, this is a tough one. Um, I would say... Does it have to be a celeb? It could be anybody. Mm. I'd say Clint Eastwood. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, a mm-hmm. regret that you would have? Not being a better son. Uh, this one's celebrity. It's a celebrity whose life you want to experience for just one day. Al Pacino. <laughs> and finally, a PSA that you want to leave our audience with. PSA. Well... I would say, um, if you are not on the ledge, 
you're taking too much space. So keep pushing yourself to the ledge and take that risk and you'll see great things will happen to you. There you have it, guys. Roy, always measured words, as you kind of heard him. He's got the away with words. And, you know, he mentioned he has a book coming up. We'll hopefully hear more about that. But thank you, Roy, for kind of jumping on the podcast. It was a, a blast. I mean, we breezed through like an hour pretty easily. Um, for anybody kind of listening and they loved kind of what they heard and they want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way for them to connect to you? Well, you can uh, email me at Roy underscore Ratnable. It's R-A-T-N-A, and Victor, E-L at hotmail.com. Perfect. There you have it. And thank you to the audience for listening. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode, guys. Thanks a lot for having me.